You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. Listen, have you ever thought about what happiness actually means? Have you ever thought about how it actually works? And have you ever contemplated on how you can experience more of it? We know that all of our emotions are valuable, and we've talked about that on many episodes, even leaning back to uh, Dr. Susan David and her book, Emotional Agility, and she was an incredible guest on the show a couple of years ago and talking about how valuable our emotions are. The reason we have them is to experience an array of human emotions and to give us valuable feedback about our experiences, our exposures, contrast, so we know things that we want, and to move towards things that we really want to have in our lives and experience. And for many of us today, we are experiencing a happiness deficit, however. We have this spectrum of emotions, but happiness isn't experienced as often. And not to say that we don't have pleasurable moments, but happiness can sometimes be replaced with pleasure. And there is a distinction. There is a subtle but powerful distinction. And so we'll be talking about that today. But ultimately, what we're going to be diving into is some powerful content that I think is going to transform your life from this day forward. And really moving into this next year, I want you to experience more health and more happiness than you ever have before. And so today, we're going to give you the happiness code and so that you have that in your superhero utility belt to use from this day forward. And now the question that's really posed in modern psychology and medicine is the question of what's wrong with you? Right, that's where our science has been dedicated, is looking at the problems that people carry, what's wrong with people in general, and also it's been the basis of the entire field of psychology in modern history. Yes, it's absolutely invaluable to be able to investigate and study the underlying causes of traumas and psychosis and mental illness, but it's also valuable to look at what actually makes people happy, what actually makes people successful. And often despite negative experiences and exposures. All of us have incredible things about us, good things about us that are often overlooked and they kind of fade into the background. And so instead of asking the question, what's wrong with you today, I wanna pose the question that I want you to ask yourself is, what's right with you? So that we can focus more of our energy into that. And so again, really pumped about this episode and we're gonna dive into a masterclass on the subject of happiness and positive psychology. And before we do that, I wanna share with you something that really does bring me happiness, to actually be able to sit down with my wife in the mornings whenever we have the opportunity and just sit and sip on a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, but not just any kind of tea or coffee, all right? We don't play that. For me, we're utilizing organic sources and mushroom infused, so medicinal mushrooms infused into our coffees, teas, elixirs, things like that. And for me, that formula at Four Sigmatic that I actually had today, it also is organic coffee, but it also has lion's mane medicinal mushroom and chaga in there as well. And chaga is well noted in clinical research to be an immunomodulator. And so if your immune system is running too low, it helps to lift up and revitalize your immune system. However, some folks are experiencing autoimmunity or their immune system is running too hot. And so it has the ability to bring the immune system down. Whereas kind of conventional medications push your body in one different 
direction or the other. It doesn't have the intelligence to kind of modulate and support your immune system. And so it's really like immune system training. And there is no other category of nutrients or medicine or foods that have that capacity like the kingdom of medicinal mushrooms. And also in that formula, as I mentioned, is lion's mane. Lion's mane is clinically proven to be neuroprotective. The University of Malaya found that Lion's mane is actually being utilized now and has an effective capability to help to improve the function of brains that have actually experienced traumatic brain injuries. So that's what it's being utilized for today. But listen to this. This was a new study that was published in Pharmacology, Biochemistry, and Behavior uncovered that lion's mane appears to have significant effects in reducing symptoms of depression as well. All right, so it's neuroprotective. It helps to support overall cognition and brain function. And much more is being studied on lion's mane right now. But I get this in my morning coffee, all right? People are not getting that with the Folgers in your cup. That's part of waking up. It's not that, all right? If you onto the Four Sigmatic, it's a whole different level, whole different experience. So I love my Four Sigmatic with a little bit of healthy fat. So for you, that could be a little bit of coconut milk or almond milk, a little MCT oil, grass-fed butter, ghee, coconut oil, whatever you're into maybe a little bit of a sweetener if you like. Of course, a low glycemic sweetener like stevia, maybe some flavored stevia drops, monk fruit, that kind of stuff. But for me, it's an experience. And today I had a little bit of cinnamon that I threw in there as well. And it's just such a great, pleasurable thing. Plus you get all of those cognitive and immune system benefits and overall health benefits. So highly recommend you check them out. It's foursigmatic.com forward slash model. You get 15% off everything they carry, whether it's the mushroom coffee, they also have mushroom elixirs. So it's more of a tea that has just chaga, or if you want the lion's mane by itself, or uh, cordyceps, right, or reishi, they have those for you as well. Or if you wanna do it in a hot chocolate, right, you're into the chocolate, you can get yourself some mushroom-infused hot chocolates as well. So pop over there, check them out, Four Sigmatic, that's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model, 15% off everything they carry. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Quality Content Every Episode by Tim Morgan 1300 This is the first podcast that I've wanted to tune into every episode. I get so much value from listening to Sean and every guest he brings on. I learn something new every episode. He sheds light and brings fresh perspective to a vast variety of health and wellness topics. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that review over on Apple Podcasts. It really is highlighting what I'm devoted to here with the show. And again, thank you so much for just sharing your heart and leaving that review. And if you've yet to do so, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show. I appreciate it so very much. And listen, if you're watching this on YouTube... You know, if you're here in the studio with me, make sure to leave a comment below the video and let me know what you thought about this episode. All right, I appreciate it so much. And on that note, let's get to our topic of the day. So today we're talking about the science of happiness and really diving in and looking at this new field. Well, it's, it's been around for a while, but now it's becoming more well-known of positive psychology. And what positive psychology is, just to start off with a definition, is the scientific study of human flourishing and an applied approach to optimal functioning. It's also been defined as a study of the strengths and virtues that enable individuals, communities, and organizations to thrive. Now, there is, in fact, a science to happiness, but science has also demonstrated that happiness is genetic as well. And to an interesting extent, this is true. Listen to this. 
There's a study published in the Journal of Neuroscience that uncovered that test subjects with a higher presence of longer alleles of the 5-HTT-LPR gene, which is a serotonin transporter gene, self-reported higher levels of life satisfaction. And this is what the researchers summarized as happiness was life satisfaction. The study authors did note this is not the happiness gene, however. There are other genes at play like the MAOA gene. And sometimes scientists will kind of put the letters in these genes together, even though they kind of signify something else, but it's the Maoa gene, not to be mistaken with Moana, all right, who's Polynesian uh, princess superhero, all right, but the MAOA gene. And so they also noted that the environment, and this is what's important, so we do have genes associated with happiness, but listen to this. They also noted that the environment and personal choices can have major influences on the expression of your genes related to happiness, all right? So just because we have these genes, which we all have them, they can be expressed in a myriad of ways depending on our lifestyle choices and our experiences. So that's really something to keep in your back pocket. And so what they concluded was that about 50% of our life satisfaction is due to our genetics. All right, or what, again, what they define as happiness. That's a big chunk. While they found that 40% of happiness is attributed to intentional activities that we partake in in our own lives. And again, just those things influence that other 50%. So I want that to be clear. I want that to be clear. And they found that the other 10% is attributed to external events. All right, so that's kind of the formula. It's this 50, 40, 10 ratio that we have for our own happiness. And it leads back to our genes. And these genes, again, are involved with some biochemistry that we'll come back to and talk about in a moment. But to just summarize things, I think it's important to understand that our genes do have an influence here, but our genes do not control our happiness, nor do they control our destiny. Our lifestyle choices, our exposures, our environment, our experiences all help to color and help to determine whether or not genes get expressed and how they get expressed because genes can have hundreds if not thousands of different potential expressions. And when we're talking about that, we're talking about how they're printing out copies, you know, new cells, uh, our DNA, the roles that our DNA is playing and how all of that affects this cascade of hormone production, neurotransmitters that create the experience for us of having happiness or something else. And just a little side note, the researchers define happiness as life satisfaction, essentially, but I think we can all agree that those are not exactly the same thing. And so I just want to note that as well. Now, intentional happiness has grown with the evolution of the human brain. Now, we've talked about this many times in the show. We have essentially three brains that have kind of evolved on top of one another. And uh, we began with a very primitive reflexive brain that's housed in our brainstem. And when I say reflexive, that means it's uh, reactionary. That means it's not about plotting things out and planning. It's very, it's just built on survival and it's built on uh, managing threats, right? When the, the, the earth itself was a very volatile, extraordinarily dangerous place. And from there we've developed the limbic brain, the limbic system, and this is bringing into play uh, different parts of the brain that are more connected to still very reflexive, but emotion, connection, feeling, 
right? But it's still really driven by pleasure and by danger, right? But now we, it's more evolved. And then from there, we developed the neocortex, right? The new, neo meaning new cortex, uh, specifically the prefrontal cortex, which for humans, this is uh, taking up about one third of that uh, new growth. And it's by far the largest portion, if we're looking at uh, from mammal to mammal, species to species, humans, this is what really makes us different, is this really dynamic and complex prefrontal cortex. And so thank you, prefrontal cortex. Um, what's so interesting about the prefrontal cortex is that now it's brought into play the ability to have what we call these executive decisions, executive functions, where we can distinguish between right and wrong, social control, so we're not so reactive, and we're not just governed by our primal drives, and we can even kind of stop and tell ourselves, it's kind of like uh, being able to have a governorship over our impulses. Because as we know, sometimes our impulses can drive us to do not the best thing. So this executive function, the prefrontal cortex, allows us to map out and monitor and preview what will happen if we do or don't do certain things. So this prefrontal cortex is an incredible, it's kind of like a flight simulator, right? It's an incredible experience simulator. And it enables us to, what I wanna mention is that when we simulate an experience in our minds, our brain largely doesn't know the difference between us imagining the thing and it actually happening. We can release the same chemistry, the same neurotransmitters, the same hormones based on our imagination and our preview of a thing as doing the real thing, right? That's incredibly powerful, really, really powerful to understand because for many of us, what we're really looking for when we talk about happiness, we're looking for a feeling. It's not the thing, it's the feeling we get from maybe accomplishing or seeing or experiencing the thing, which we can do in our own minds. So put that in the superhero utility belt for later as well. Now, if we're aware of this ability that we have, that we can intentionally decide, this is what the executive brain allows us to do. It enables us to intentionally decide whether or not we choose thoughts that increase our happiness or they lead us to other emotions. We get to decide what we think consciously. Other animals are not doing that. They're not deciding like, you know what? I wanna think about this thing and then go down that path. Like we have the ability to do that. But oftentimes that is on autopilot and we're kind of at the mercy of the randomness in our lives or the, our history and potential futures. And it creates a lot of potential anxiety and depression because we're so scattered. We don't have uh, reins on our own mind. And today it's more difficult than ever because of the evolution of the brain was not hardwired to deal with all of the stuff coming at us today, like 24 seven access to everything. All right, so this can be a little bit of a obstacle for us to deal with that I want you to keep in mind. Now, leaning back on the history of happiness, why this is important is that our brains are actually hardwired to be a little bit negative, all right? especially the early brain. Because evolution favored those with a keen awareness of possible problems, right? Threats by animals, threats by other tribes, threats by uh, not having access to food and shelter and things that many of us, billions of people have covered today, you know, our basic human needs. And so our brain is hardwired still to look for the potential holes in those things and problems that's losing our shelter, losing our safety, our access to food and water and those kind of things, all right? So our brain is like looking for problems. 
And so if we want to think back, and for many of us, we imagine or conjure up the idea of like an early caveman or, you know, some kind of more primitive version of humans, uh, again, being very hardwired to look for problems, but then we evolved and we began to find the capacity to experience joy and pleasure and happiness more. Uh, this was usually found in community. It was found in community. It was found in responsibility, responsibility within the community or in, within the tribe, within that nuclear, you know, component of connection of people meant a lot. And it provided a, a stream of happiness to be able to have a role. Also guardianship. This is one of the things really hardwired into us and being parents and to take care of the young and like having this, this is why babies for us are just so cute. Like we're just hardwired to love them, which is the weirdest thing because they come out looking kind of like Mac and me. I don't know if you saw the movie Mac and me, but they can come out looking kind of alien, right? But we're just like, oh, this is the most beautiful thing. We're hardwired to love and to have guardianship and to take care of these little, just super malleable, like little um, Gumby humans that we come out to be, right? But with guardianship and also management, this was another place that we found happiness was being able to manage, you know, our our household and our roles and within the tribe. And so all these things help to kind of contribute through our evolution of happiness. And this is where the story takes an interesting turn. The agricultural revolution appears to be a major obstacle in the evolution of happiness due to the creation of a new social hierarchy. With advances in agriculture, it created decreased need for reliance on social groups for our survival. And so our responsibilities, our feeling of management, and our kind of community structures were transforming. And so this is where we see a change in our happiness structure and how the brain is wired as well. And so from there, after the kind of agricultural revolution, and we moved into another phase in humanity, which again, like in my history classes, we talked about this stuff is like, oh, this is awesome. We got, you know, factories and whatever, but this was the industrial revolution and happiness took another shift because it began to be more equated with material wealth, accumulation, and good fortune. In fact, the root of the word happiness is derived from the words meaning good fortune and luck. All right, this is where the word is actually derived from. So already happiness is, be is believed in our society at this point to be out of your hands in essence. And you need external circumstances of good fortune in order for you to have it. So I hope that makes sense. This was a huge shift in our psychological makeup. Now, more recently, and obviously there's a lot that happens in these millennia, but most recently we have the digital revolution which has brought forth an entirely new set of obstacles for happiness. In many perspectives, happiness is defined as getting what you want, right? It's getting what we want. And to our ancestors, the vast majority of the US population has gotten far beyond anything they could have ever imagined. We're living like kings and queens. We're, we're like royalty. Even if we have, even if we're living in poverty here in this country, Having access to food and shelter and television and, and, and entertainment and, and our iPhones and all these different things, it would be like a dream. It would be like a dream. Though many of our wants and needs are actually met today 
Our greater connection that we have thanks to the digital revolution enables us to see what hundreds, thousands, or even millions of other people are doing, what they have, what they're experiencing, and to see their apparent happiness. And so it creates a lot of borrowed desires. It creates a lot of not enoughness. And experiencing on a daily basis for many of us, feelings of envy and discontent and, and not enough and lack of gratitude for what we do have because we see what others have. And kind of natural, the hardwiring of the brain is to see that and to compare ourselves. And so I just want to give us this little brief history. There's so much more to it, but I really want to get into some of these actionable items today. But I want to also lay an important foundation to understand that the, the way that we're living today and how our brain has evolved, it's complicated when we're talking about happiness. This isn't a small thing. It isn't something that's just given to us freely today, but it is something that we all have access to. And there is a science behind it. And so with that said, let's move into a little bit of the biochemistry of happiness. Now, happiness is largely related to the production and activity of hormones and neurotransmitters that include dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphins. Now, this is the question, what is happiness? What is it? Can you touch it? No, this is something that is intangible. It's a feeling. Happiness is a feeling. Now, what does happiness feel like? This can bring up a whole discussion and a whole array of different feelings, but we do know one thing, happiness feels good. It feels good. Now, dopamine pathway, serotonin pathway. We know that serotonin is largely related, even we're talking about on the genetic level to our experience of happiness. And we talked about this on an episode of the Model Health Show. This was episode 240 with Dr. Robert Lustig. And we talked about happiness versus pleasure. So happiness is more attributed towards serotonin and pleasure is more attributed towards dopamine. We need both, both are important and they intermingle, but there are pathways in our brain and in our physiology that lead to one or the other. And so dopamine really, it's not necessarily specifically pleasure, it's a seeking, it's a drive towards wanting, towards seeking and finding pleasure. That's really what dopamine does in our, in our bodies. And dopamine is more temporary. It's more reactionary, right? When we think about dopamine, we're talking about potential issues with addiction, with wanting these quick fixes to lift us up. And many of the most powerful narcotics in the world, like you know, cocaine and heroin, are, are operating, influencing this dopamine pathway. Right, And so I want us to be aware of that. Again, it's not that it's bad. I'm not talking about the drugs, but dopamine is not bad. We need dopamine. It, it enables us to seek and to, and to progress and to uh, try to take ourselves to another level. Right? But serotonin is about more tied to contentment, peace, uh, more long-lasting feelings of joy. And this can be attributed to an incredible amount of things can help us to boost our production and utilization of serotonin. And so there's gonna be many episodes that we're gonna refer back to, and those are masterclasses on those particular subjects, but we're bringing them all together here in this episode for you today. So that's episode 240, we'll have that for you in the show notes, happiness versus pleasure with Dr. Robert Lustig. 
And so with that said, now we're going to transition into the things that create the activity of more of that feel-good chemistry in your body. The health-affirming type of those feelings and not the kind of health-detracting or the addictive types, right? So these are things that create more of what we will refer to as true happiness, stable happiness, and not addiction per se. And so next we're going to look at the core components of happiness. Now, without these four components I'm going to share with you, it's going to be incredibly difficult to achieve happiness, if not next to impossible to achieve happiness. So here are the four core components of happiness. And keep in mind, these are in addition to having our survival needs met, even if we're looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs all the way back with that. There are levels of things that we need to have addressed before we get into community and connection and self-actualization. We have to have those things met, so I'm just giving that as a given. And again, we've been building on these four elements in recent episodes, masterclass episodes of the Model Health Show, so we're not going to go too in-depth on them so we can get to the practical application of them all here. And so number one here on these core components of happiness, number one is significance. Significance. You have to feel in order for us to feel long-lasting happiness, we have to feel like we matter. We have to feel like we are enough. We have to feel like we hold significance in the world. And this was highlighted in the episode we just did recently with Marissa Peer, largely considered the top psychotherapist in the world. So that's episode 387. So we have to have this component met in some form or fashion in our lives. And we're going to talk about how do we do that today as well. So number one, and the core components of happiness, we have to feel significance. Number two, we have to feel like we're a part of community. We have to have community. We have to have access and communication and connection within a community. And this was highlighted in the recent episode we did. This was episode 384 with Drew Perohit talking about the science of connection and friendship and community. So Definitely listen to that episode. It is a core ingredient in happiness. We have to have this base covered. Basically four bases that we're trying to round here. We're trying to hit that grand salami, all right? So significance, community. Number three, purpose. We have to have purpose. We have to have meaning in our lives and a feeling that we are here for a reason and we're moving towards something. And episode 380 took a deep dive looking at the connection between your purpose in life, your health, and your overall success. And so again, you can refer back to that, but we have to have this component, significance, community, purpose. And finally, the other four corners or four bases that we're trying to round here in order to hit that happiness home run is number four, we have to have structure. We absolutely have to have structure. And this leans back to episode 385 with Steve Weatherford. We got so much going on in our world today. People are telling us that we need to do all these different things and there's so much drawing our attention. We have to have structure and strategy to maneuver our way through and to define and create and write our own lives in the way that we want. And the environment has a huge influence on our structure and our, our experience of happiness and connection. For example, this time of year when this is being recorded and released, it's the holiday season, all right? During the holiday season, People just seem to be a little nicer. I think you've probably noticed this. But my thing is like, why can't we just do this every day, right? Why is it this time of year that elicits more kindness and thoughtfulness and, you know, people just waving people on in traffic, just being nicer. Even, even on my flight, 
I went and visited some friends and family in St. Louis and then flying back to LA, it was a little bit of a problem, all right? I got a notice in my phone that the plane was changed and our seats weren't, we didn't have seats anymore, basically, right? But they're saying, you know, I got on the customer service line and they're just saying, uh, no, you definitely have seats. They'll just give it to you when you get there. Everything's going to be fine. Trust me. When they say trust you, I don't know. I didn't feel trust. But I got there. I talked to the manager of the airline. Like, that was at the desk. She was like, well, I can't actually put you in seats here. They'll do this at the gate. Everything is fine, though. Trust me. All right. Now I've got tickets for my, my two sons and my wife, but I don't have a seat. So I'm still concerned. I'm nervous. I go down there. You know, they're working at the gate. And she's working for probably 20, 30 minutes to try to figure it out. I still don't have a seat. And ultimately what happened was they offered me a, just a seat change away from my family a little bit. Or, you know, of course, like one of us can just go and sit uh, a little bit away. But they were like, you know what? We're going to give you $1,500 for this inconvenience. Huh? Happy holidays. All right? Like... They were just so wanting to go the extra mile to make me feel, you know, and of course, like airlines do this stuff kind of all the time, but they just want to over deliver. We got on the flight, all good, sitting there. I'm just like, okay, I've been working, I've been reading, researching, really working my butt off even those past days. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch a movie. So we get up in the air, log onto the Wi-Fi, nothing. All right. And I mean, I felt like I like a relaxed before I went to log on for the movie. I was like, all right, now I'm just going to unplug. I'm going to chill. No Wi-Fi. And they re, you know how they do on the airline. They re quote, reset the Wi-Fi. And so they did that still didn't work and they reset it again. But anyways, it maybe took 45 minutes or two. The flight attendant came by and gave my wife and I uh, several hundred dollars of credit for the airline like for future tickets, just like for the, I'm like, what? Everybody's being so nice. And then it got me like, wow, they're in that holiday spirit, right? So it's the structure and the environment that creates new behaviors of happiness and empathy and giving and, and over-delivering. But we can have this all year long. And for many of us, what I want to point to is that it really refers back to our routine. It's our structure and our strategy and our routine that, largely creates our outcomes of happiness or success or whatever the case might be. Because for me, one of my unsaid mantras that I want to share with you is that, yes, we all will have bad moments, right? I have bad moments, but I have no bad days. I can have some bad moments, but I don't have any bad days because I'm leaning on my routine to keep my mind right and to keep me in the state that I want to be in. Things are going to come up, but that routine weighs heavy in my perspective and my results. And so one of those things for me that I lean on is, you know, working out, for example. Like that is a cornerstone in my structure and my strategy that keeps me in a state that I want to be in physically and mentally that is always there for me. I have access to. It might not be the, the routine that I want. Things can even come up and interrupt my objective of working out a certain way. But just doing something physical for me every single day has a multitude of long lasting positive effects, right? And it just, it's a part of my mental makeup that enables me to interrupt patterns of problems, right? Stuff might be going 
a certain way. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but maybe you're dealing with something and you go and you work that stuff out. You know, you work it out at the gym, you work it out in the hot yoga, whatever. You just process, you just feel better. You feel better when you're able to move your body and to, because it's hacking in a health giving way, that happiness system of releasing endorphins that we talked about, right? You're getting a boost of serotonin that we talked about from that movement and that workout. So again, this goes back to our structure and strategy. So that's episode 385 with Steve Weatherford. Now, as you recall from past episodes, your brain actually becomes adapted to the environment and the habits that it's exposed to. This is why structure and strategy is so important. And neurologist Dr. David Perlmutter states that through neuroplasticity, your brain literally changes. The more we dwell on negativity, the more our brains become primed for negativity and the more we're inclined to view the world around us in a negative light. On the other hand, the more we dwell on happiness and positive affirmative thoughts, the more our brains become primed for positivity and the more we're inclined to view the world around us in a positive light. So our brains become trained to look for the things that we create as habitual exposures. And so with that said, now we're going to dive into seven things that actually encourage happiness. These are specific tools and strategies to help you to cultivate that happiness and positive thinking that will actually change the way your brain is structured. And so we're going to dive into these. And number one, and I want you to take some good notes. So number one, and these seven things that encourage happiness, number one is to cultivate humor. All right. Lighten up. I first heard my mother-in-law say this many years ago. She said that seriousness is a sickness, right? Seriousness is a sickness. And that just kind of floored me like, wow, that's deep. Little did she realize, you know, speaking to my like very analytical brain, I was just like thinking about how our thoughts create the chemistry in our bodies and what we experience. And she, I was just like, you are so right. When there's so much opportunity to see the good in life and the, the, the funny things and the happiness around me, but there's equal amount of opportunity to look at all the negative and the things that I lack and so on and so forth. So cultivating humor is a huge leverage point in actually changing the structure of your brain. So how do we do this, all right? I'm gonna give you something super simple to do and you might be doing it now, which is to smile more, all right? Smile more. Now I know that a smile and a laugh are not the same thing, but they do live in the same neighborhood, all right? The smile is like knocking on, can happiness and laughter come out and play, all right? They're like next door neighbors. Do you remember we used to do that? Like you go and actually knock on the door and like, you know, can, can, can Avery come out to play? That was my friend's name. Or Rico, hey, can Rico come out to play? You know, that was my other friend when I was a kid. And now today, you know, it's just a whole different ball game for many of us, but, um, smile and a laugh are not the same thing, but they do live in the same neighborhood. And so when you smile, you are literally, there are nerve endings that are connected to your brain that light up certain areas of your brain related to positive attitude and happiness simply by smiling. All right. So in cultivating humor and lightening up, this is something we all have access to that we can train ourselves to do more frequently which I'm doing right now, you can probably hear it in my voice, which is to smile. Smile more often, consciously do this. Now, something else that we can do to kind of cultivate more humor and to lighten up is that when something annoying or frustrating occurs, practice flipping it on its head as soon as you can and find the humor in it. 
Now, this is something that I've learned to do and practice in my life on a regular basis, just because it's just not worth being annoyed at certain things. It's not doing anything but pulling energy from myself and putting me into a negative state. And 99.999% of the time, nobody else around me in the circumstances even cares or is thinking about how I'm feeling. And so the story that I shared on a past episode a couple weeks ago is something that really annoyed me at first. And it's from moving to Los Angeles and the gyms that I would go to, just people having this, it seemed like a deficiency or some kind of just like mental barrier in putting the weights away, like re-rack your weights. You know, you got the 35, you got 135 over here. There's another one down where the fives are at. There's like, you know, you come to a bar, you know, do some squats and there's already like 190 on one side and there's like 45 on the other side, you know, just dangerous, right? Just like re-rack your stuff. And I literally shared it in a way that it just made it, it was like, it, it took the sting out of it. And it's actually kind of funny, you know? So I even saw it yesterday. You know, I'm just like, I go to the gym, but now for me, I've made it like, it's just a part of the workout now, you know, like part of the workout is doing a scavenger hunt for my weights. All right. Welcome to LA. You know, another thing, by the way, that just like, it could be, it could bother me. But when I was at the gym yesterday, there was a dude there and I get his LA. He had on some aviator sunglasses and Crocs and he's like lifting weights. Like, what are you here to do? You know, he had to go chain everything. You know, I was like, are you, are you think you're incognito? You think you're hiding? You know, like, but for me, it's just like, I immediately flip it, you know, and it's just like, that's funny, but also, man, he's, he's getting it in. He's got his Crocs on, but he's here. You know, he's here. By the way, after I walked away from that spot where my man was at, there's another guy there, clearly in a tribute band, or maybe he's in a band from the 70s. I don't know, but he, my man had jeans on, tight jeans. He was older. Bandana tied around the jeans. He's lifting weights. First of all, he's lifting weight in jeans, all right? I'm just like, again, my brain could be like, what are you doing? But instead, I'm like, hey, he's getting it in. He's ready for that reunion tour. Boy, he's in here getting it in. He's training in his jeans because he's going to be playing in his jeans, you know? Like, I just create these funny scenarios off of things that might be, you know, annoying to other people, you know? But it's funny. Like, if we just lighten up, we see the humor and the beauty in the world around us, so... I hope that that uh, makes some sense and just kind of helps to color those lenses to look for the humor in things, you know, things that might annoy you or really, and there's more, I mean, I've got so many examples of things that might be even more bothersome, but I just want to share a couple of examples for you. So another tip here in cultivating humor and lightening up is to regularly watch, listen to, or read things that make you laugh, right? So funny shows. My family, we love, for whatever reason, we are weird, I don't know why, but we'll sit around and watch news bloopers for like an hour. I do not know why, and there's certain ones that are just iconic for us. Like this news reporter was, you know, he had his very prestigious voice on, and then like a bug flew in his mouth, and he just started cussing, and he got super hood so quickly when a bug flew in his mouth. And man, it's just like, I could watch that a thousand times and just die laughing. And... Um, you know, it's just something that we do, you know? So whether it's little videos like that, even books that are written by funny people. You know, one of my favorite books in that kind of space, you know, like a, a comedian wrote it, is Jim Gaffigan's book, Food, A Love Story, all right? Now, him and I definitely don't have the same approach to food, but just seeing the, the 
comedic writing and just having the laughter throughout the book and the jokes is just, it was really funny and it's enjoyable for me. So regularly watch, listen to, or read things that make you laugh daily. Do this daily. Give yourself this gift daily. It rewires your brain to look for things to laugh and to have joy and to uh, experience more happiness for. It, it's, it literally rewires your brain to scan the environment and to look for more happiness, all right? Also, another thing that we can do to cultivate humor is to share funny or even embarrassing stories with family and friends. One of the greatest gifts we can do is to lighten up with ourselves and our ego, you know, and talk about the funny, embarrassing stuff that might happen to us. Um, like when I was in eighth grade, for example, we went on a field trip to Babbler State Park, which is this huge, massive state park in Missouri, right? So it's a field trip, got the bag lunch. Man, come on, I had the sandwich, I had the chips, everything, the juice box. I'm straight, I'm ready, right? Now, even in eighth grade or seventh grade, like the juice box is still like a thing, right? So I had my, I know it's a Capri Sun, Capri Sun. So I had my, my, my lunch waiting for me. I couldn't wait to get to lunch, right? And so our last activity for the day was to use a compass and to find certain points in the forest, this little perimeter that they had put together for us. And they're like clues at each one. And we use the compass to kind of navigate our way to each point. And we're dividing the teams to see who could do it fastest. And, you know, so my group is about six of us. It was like five or six of us. And I'm killing it. Like we're way ahead of the group. I got the compass in my hand. Now, I'm not saying I'm Jacques Cousteau. I'm not saying that, but I was managing that compass. But in my group, it's Adam, all right? Adam was the smart kid in school. Like, he just knew he was the smartest kid, all right? And he was kind of, I'm not saying he was whining, but he was whining, all right? Just a little bit. And so he was like, I want to, like, let me do, you know, let me lead. Let me find some of these points as well. I think we had, like, three points to go. We had already found four. And so I was like, here, fine, you know, do, do your thing, man. And so Adam gets the, the, the compass. We find one point. Then we go in for the next point, And we don't find it. And we don't find it for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. 30. We're lost in this huge forest. Already at least like 30 minutes walk from where our camp is. All right? We're lost. And we're all freaking out. Well, let me not say we're all freaking out. My friend John was super freaking out. He's in the group too. Now, John, we're like, we're, we, first of all, this is, we're out of our element. We're from the hood. What are we doing here? All right. So he's like, he's crying. About an hour into it, he's crying. He's like, man, we're going we're gonna to die. We're going to die. I'm like, John, just relax. We're going to be okay. All right. And so we're, we're lost for an hour. Two hours go by and we're just trying to find our way back. And this is trouble. Like, this is a serious, this could be a big problem. And eventually, I'm just like, we just got to keep, let's just keep moving in one direction. And so eventually, we, we found a road. We found an actual road in between the two parts of the park. And so uh, we found the road, and I'm just like, we'll just walk along this road until we find something or somebody drives down the road. And so we're walking down the road, and a car drives by. And these fools literally jump on the car like zombies. Like, hell, you know, they're banging them. We're like, help, help. Like, we've been lost for days, right? 
And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying I was like the more civilized one. Me, I don't, I don't think Adam jumped on the car either. We're just like, okay, guys, just relax. We can just wave them down. We don't got to jump on the car. And it was a, a, a couple, it was their grandparents, and they had their grandbaby with them, all right? And so we told them the situation, and they was like, okay, we know where the whatever headquarters is, and we'll drop you off there. So our, you know, five people piled into this car with this couple, and they were so nice, and they dropped us off at this center. And so, but here the embarrassing part hasn't come yet, all right? So we get there, get notice to the camp counselors and the school that they found us. So they sent somebody to come pick us up. We're all waiting. We're exhausted. I wanted my lunch. I just wanted to get to my lunch. That's all I'm thinking about. It's like, I got my sandwich. I got the, you know, I did the special. Like my mom put the, you know, she put the mustard in a little baggie so I could like squeeze it like a, you know, cake frosting. Right. So it's not going to make my bread mushy. Right. So I'm just like, man, I can't wait to have my sandwich. So we're all sitting on park bench, a picnic table. And little do we know we're under a tree and ticks are just jumping all up into our clothes. They're just jumping all up into us. All right. All up into our crevices. All right. I had no idea. None of us until we got home. And I'm just like, I think I was, you know, maybe going pee. But I was like, what the? And I'm freaking out. Right. There's a tick on my junk, all right? And so I'm like, I'm yelling to my mom, whatever, and now I'm in eighth grade. I'm in an awkward stage, and now my mom is like pulling ticks off of my junk, all right? And she's just like, oh, calm down. Just I'm like, mom, you know, I'm trying to like hold it and move it away from her a certain way, just like, just get, just to get the part. Oh, it was so mortifying for me, you know? And we all, you know, got back to school. We all kind of had this experience of having these ticks and needing, you know, to get assistance for somebody to help get them off of us. And even though, you know, it was a crazy experience, traumatic experience, there's much more to the story than that, but it's also super hilarious looking back on it. And it's a moment I will never forget. I was so embarrassed. It's one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. You know, my mom seeing like my development, you know, like it's just, it was so, such a terrible experience for me, but it's also kind of funny. And so sharing funny stories, embarrassing stories with your friends and family also cultivates your humor as well. And so uh, just one other way that I want to share in this number one on this list is to hang out with people who make you laugh, right? Proactively hang out with your friends who make you laugh, that you have a good time with, that you enjoy and you have more happiness and more laughter with. Like give yourself that gift. And of course you could bring that humor to the table as well, all right? So these are very practical, tangible things that we can do to encourage happiness in our lives. So I hope that you got some value from that. And so that was number one on our seven things that encourage happiness. We're gonna move on to number two. And number two is gonna sound like Captain Obvious, but we're gonna do something very practical in this. And it might sound obvious, but are you doing it? Number two is to do things that bring you happiness. Do more things that bring you happiness. Happiness isn't a spectator sport. You don't sit on the sidelines and just, you know, cheer happiness on. This is something you get in the game, all right? So what I want you to do is to, to stop what you're doing. You can stop right after this episode or you can pause this right here. But what I want you to do is to literally make a list Create a list of 10 to 20 things, 10 to 20 things that make you happy. Make a list of 10 to 20 things that make you happy. 
And then once you have that list, this is the most important part, you can really see how your list really matches up with your actual life. When you list out the things that make you happy and then you analyze your life, for many of us, we'll see that, whoa, my life, I'm not including so many of these things. So I want you, but you got to get it out of your head first and, and open your heart. What are the things that actually make you happy? List 10 things. And just to kind of get you started, I'll share a little bit of my list here. And so I made a list and I think I've got about 15 things on my list. And I'll just, and this could just literally be a few words or half a sentence. And so that's what I did here for my list. So this is my list of things that make me happy. Number one, playing trivia games. I love it. All right. I love playing trivia games. I've got so much seemingly useless knowledge in my brain. Like I know the most obscure, crazy facts. Like I know actors in movies that I've never seen, like that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so trivia night, if I'm on your team, it's a W. All right. We're going to get that victory. All right. And there's even fun games, even on your phone, like apps, like heads up that are like um, catchphrase type games where you work with your team or with, you know, everybody and they're trying to give you, you know, descriptions and, or you're trying to give them descriptions without selling, saying the word, you know, fun games like that. You know, there's so many different things that we can all do and it's super fun. I even posted like the app heads up. It, it records a video as well as you're playing the game because it's on, you place it on your head. So you see your, your family or your friends trying to give you these clues and it records the video. And so I posted some of that video on my Instagram story. And so if you follow me on Instagram, you got to see a little bit of that. It was hilarious. All right, so I'm at Sean Model on Instagram. You're not following me? At Sean Model on Instagram. Make sure you're following me. Got so much cool stuff that I share over there. But so that's number one for me, playing trivia games. Number two, eating delicious food. Brings me a lot of happiness. That. Also, delicious food that just happens to be healthy, that just happens to be health-giving, right? I, it's not a dopamine-driven type thing. I really appreciate I think it's because just all the work I've done over the years and the experimentation and the fasting and all this stuff, I just appreciate food. I appreciate it and I enjoy the, the subtleties of it. So that's number two for me. Number three is lifting weights. Maybe it's fortunate, but this is something that brings me happiness. Like I really, I love doing it. I love working out. I love, you know, lifting heavy things. I love, um, you know, going to the gym or, you know, training at home. And number four for me is working out with my family. It's another thing that brings me a lot of happiness. I love working out with my family. Uh, number five for me on my list of things that makes me happy. Number five is watching superhero themed movies or TV shows. So much, so much good stuff out there. Number six is writing. I love, I absolutely love writing. I love the experience of bringing thoughts into physicality, making unique connections in the way that things are stated, um, bringing things to life on a page for people. Like, I really love it. Uh, number seven is knocking the boots. Um, number eight, no, we can't pass number seven like that. Number seven, that really makes me happy, all right? There's some dopamine involved there as well, but yeah. All right. So that's number seven. Number eight is for me, something that really makes me happy is inspiring other people. That brings me so much happiness in my life. Uh, number nine is brightening people's day. Now, there's this little subtle difference here because I'm not like the inspiration factor. It might be something like creating a podcast, right? 
or doing a, a um, an enriching social media post, but brightening people's day is just I've, the simple things, you know, just smiling at somebody, which again goes back to number one on our list. Uh, but smiling really elicits something positive for myself, but it's something that I can give away for free. And it just, it can, it, it's like it creates a, a chain reaction, right? So, or complimenting people. I really look for everybody is beautiful. Like everybody has some unique feature or, you know, uh, style thing or something, but I'm, and I love it when I see it, I compliment people all the time. Some stuff is super weird, right? For real. But even, but my, my mind, the way that it works, even when I share the story about the guy working out and the aviators and the Crocs. I just, I just thought he was, he was like a different level kind of cool. Like, you know, he's like over there doing his tricep extensions. Like, I'm just imagining how it feels in those Crocs in the gym. You know, he got his Air Crocs on. Forget Air Jordans, you know what I mean? But I just find ways that I can compliment people, let them, you know, uh, if it's, a, you know, somebody has a, a new bag that just looks beautiful or cute or nice. Like I was just like, oh, you know, and it, it lights people up so much. You know how it feels when somebody compliments you and you put thought into the outfit you're wearing or, you know, the purse that you got. Maybe you were working like for a long time to get that, you know, that Louis V, you know what I'm saying? And so when somebody acknowledges you for that or, you know, maybe it's your, you know, your haircut or whatever the case might be or um, a, a quality or just being kind, right? That really makes me happy. You know, when we're going through the line, the grocery store, and I, you know, don't just not act like I don't see the person. I see them. You know, the person at the register, I see them, I speak to them, and, you know, that kind of stuff makes me happy. So um, that's number nine on my list. Number 10 is playing competitive sports. Love it. I love it. I love whether it's like basketball, ultimate frisbee, ping pong, whatever, pool. I don't know if pool is exactly competitive it, it is it is but i just i love it i love it so much uh number 11 watching goofy movies you know this is something that you'll be surprised to know like my and my wife doesn't really mess with me with this one like we have our two different things that are kind of unique to us we blend on so many things but she doesn't really vibe with me with the goofy movies like she's not gonna sit with me and watch the love guru all right she's not gonna sit with me and watch uh, old school. What's well, old school? Let me. That's in the middle, right? So that's with Will Ferrell, uh, Vince Vaughn, classic. Luke Wilson. Uh, I still I say stuff from that movie probably every day, right? Even when I had my water a few minutes ago, I was like, you know, it, we were on a break and I was just sipping. I was like, when it hits your lips. But Will Ferrell was talking about when he was drinking beer. He's like, it's so good when it hits your lips. And I just did that when I had my water, right? But a lot of people don't even know that I'm doing it. But it's from these goofy movies. Right, so that's another thing that really makes me happy. Number 12 for me is hearing my wife and kids laugh. That really makes me happy. 13 is reading thought-provoking books. I love that, it makes me super happy. Um, number 14 is listening to my wife talk. That really makes me happy. Now, let me be clear. It's when there's nothing going on, you know, she's not like, it's not talking about an, you know, an agenda, things we gotta do, whatever, but just when, when we're free of that stuff and she's just talking, it's like music. It's like, I just love it. When I could just sit there and just listen to her talk or even lay on her lap and listen to her talk, I love it. 15 is driving and listening to good music. Like, I love doing that as well. Who, like, for me, it's like, who doesn't love that, you know? Uh, was that Jerry Maguire, Free Falling? Huh? Come on, man. Uh, for me, I'll just tell you what I'm listening to. 
<laughs> I was just, this true story, I was just listening to Michael McDonald. I don't know why. Um, oh, because I saw somebody who reminded me of him and I was let, you know, letting my family listen to it. Um, he's got some classic hitters, boy, Michael McDonald. But real talk, you don't know exactly what he's saying. It's like, hey. You don't know what he's saying, but it sounds good, bro. You know, so Michael McDonald, uh, LL Cool J going back to Cali. Oh my gosh. There's so much built, in, there's layers there. Rick Rubin, huh? And just for obvious reasons, of course, like with the move, but just like the 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 layers of the it's masterpiece. And when I talk about free falling, by the way, I love the John Mayer cover of that. Man, come on, man. You know, if you, come on now. If you driving and you don't you don't catch a vibe, listen to that when you're driving. Where's your soul? Huh? No, real talk. Check it out if you haven't. Um, who else am I into? You know, Drake is just. I saw this little graphic and showing over the past like 60 or 70 years, like the highest selling artists and Drake's just been killing it for a long time now. So you gotta give him respect. Um, he's got a new one with Ricky Rose, Rick Ross. Whenever I think of Rick Ross, again, I tie some funny, he's like, huh? You know, I just do that in my mind every time, huh? So uh, they got us all money in the grave. That's, that's, that's a jam. Uh, Sabrina Claudio is, is popping for me right now. But anyway, so just drive and listen to good music. All right, so do the things that make you happy. If you're feeling a vibe with that, if nobody else feels it, do that for yourself. Do it for yourself, all right? My son, my sons are very diverse in their music. Like, obviously, I've got this diversity of music with me, like people would never expect. I'm talking about my love for country music several times on the show, ranging from that to hip hop to like some classical stuff. My kids have this diverse thing, but there's gonna be stuff I don't like. Like my son, Jordan, like, you know, he might be getting ready for college in the morning. He's listening to Tupac, but then he's playing like some other artists that's just like, what is that? You know? Uh huh, uh huh. Whatever that song is, like, how is that good? You know? But this is the thing it doesn't matter if I'm into it as long as he's catching a vibe and feeling good from it. That's what it's all about. All right, so I hope that you. Take this advice, make a list. It feels good even to just write it down, like write down 10 to 20 things that make you happy and do more of those things on a list. When I look at that list, I immediately saw the thing that I'm not doing that I probably said that I really love. When I did that one through 15, I probably said that I love it and really enjoy it more than any of those 15. And this is the thing I'm doing the least of, which is playing competitive sports, right? Just with the move and all the different stuff going on and whatever reason, I haven't plugged myself in to do that, right? So now it just gave me fuel to do more of that thing that I really enjoy doing, all right? So that's number two on our list of these seven things that encourage happiness. So we're gonna move on to number three. Number three, this is what we've really brought forth here on the Model Health Show since the very beginning. Number three is invest in your health. It is very difficult to be happy when you don't feel good physically. It's not impossible. It is definitely not impossible, but it's more difficult. It's more difficult to experience empathy. It's more difficult to experience compassion. It's more difficult to experience drive and motivation when you don't feel good. I've been there. I've had to do things when I don't feel at my best. And we can rise. That's the beautiful thing about humans. We can rise to the occasion. We can but stack conditions in our favor so that we make it more graceful. And so invest in your health. Take care of your, 
your sleep hygiene, your nutrition, uh, your, your, your exercise and movement practices, right? The core things that we talk about here on the show. And part of me, as I mentioned earlier, is the, the, the training, you know, physical activity. It's a part of my routine that gives me a very dynamic cornerstone that I can always rely on to help to get my mind right, right? The crazy thing, and I know many of you have experienced this, and some people might be like, I want to get there, but I definitely don't have that experience. But once you start employing a regular exercise routine in your life and you don't do it, like you stop doing it for a while, maybe it's five days, a week, whatever, you start not feeling like yourself. Like you really, you kind of have a healthier withdrawal. It's not something that's debilitating, like it would be with like narcotics, but it's just like, I don't feel right. Like I'm missing my my movement, my exercise. Like your body, your brain starts to literally transform to expect and to crave that movement. And so just even with all the stuff going on and the travel, uh, when I hit the gym yesterday, and I actually worked for a little bit first, uh, but it's still the early part of the morning. And something that I utilize um, whenever I know, like, just to give me that little bit extra if I haven't, if I'm uh, training and, is, and, I've, and I've been fasting, maybe I might have a you know a little bit of coffee or whatever early in the day. But if it's been a little while, what I utilize is the total strength and performance formula from on it. And the reason I do is that it's actually been clinically proven to work a double blind placebo controlled study. And this was conducted at Florida State University. And so uh, the study participants utilizing total strength and performance pre-workout. Now this is number one, this is not synthetic. So this is based on earth grown nutrients in this formula. But here's what happened when they utilize this in a four week study. The test participants utilizing total strength plus performance significantly increased improvement in their one rep max for squat, bench press, and deadlift combined total weight compared to those taking a placebo. It actually works. Now also, again, four weeks of training with total strength plus performance added an average of six kilograms, or that's 13.7 pounds, to one rep bench press max. Huh? That's 14 pounds. What? Like that is so remarkable. And again, this isn't anything synthetic or habit forming or doesn't negatively affect hormone function. And they actually tested for that to see how it affects hormone profiles and it doesn't, all right? This is just an assist. It really helps with the way that your mitochondria and that your muscle fibers are, are utilizing and distributing energy. So I, I love it. I don't use it all the time, but you know, I probably use it maybe at least once a week, but sometimes twice a week, sometimes three times, just depending on how much I got going on and timing of things. But if you're looking for a good pre-workout that is clinically proven to be effective and without all these crazy synthetic ingredients, definitely check out Total Strength Plus Performance uh, from Onnit. You get 10% off anything that Onnit carries. I'm a huge fan of Onnit. They've been my family and, and a part of the Model Health Show mission for, it's got to be maybe five years now. You know, I love those guys so much. So uh, you get 10% off everything they carry. Go to onnit.com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T dot com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T dot com forward slash model for 10% off everything they carry. And so again, referring back to number three here, invest in your health. This is a cornerstone of happiness. And so we're going to move on to number four on our list of seven things that encourage happiness. And number four is, this one's really really powerful. Number four is to dwell on past happiness. 
dwell on past happiness, or AKA I call this giving yourself a happy history lesson. So what do I mean by this? Well, we tend to spend a lot of time talking about seemingly negative past events and experiences that help to shape who we are. You know, one of the most negative things in my life was losing my health and being diagnosed with this so-called incurable spinal condition when I was 20 years old. It's devastating. It was a terrible experience, but it brought forth so much opportunity and positive change in my life. Those are the things we tend to focus on. Some people don't get out of those negative circumstances. Some people do. But what we don't talk enough about are the positive, happy experiences that help to shape who we are. We don't tend to give a lot of credence to these positive events that that really helped, you know, in our history that helped to make us who we are as human beings. And so what I want you to do and want to encourage you to do is to literally take the positive memories and stories from your past and write them down. You can write them down, record them on video. You can do a live stream and share the story or the experience, a positive, happy, joyful thing in your life. Do a positive history analysis in your life and use these so that you can be able to refer back to the good things about you that help to shape who you are. So I'll share a couple of examples just to color this for you a little bit. And these were things that I was able to pull things from. These weren't just happy moments. These were things I was able to pull things from. And hopefully these can encourage you to and, and bring you more happiness today as well. So one of those situations was uh, I lived with my grandmother from the from kindergarten to second grade, and it was an incredible experience, you know, very safe, consistent environment. But some weekends I would go and stay with my mother. And we lived at the time, she lived at the time, in not the best neighborhood, you know, it would be considered a, a bad neighborhood, a dangerous neighborhood. There wasn't really even a bedroom per se. There, kind, there was like a space where the bed can be, you know, and that's where my, my mother and my stepfather slept. And my little brother, he was, he was really a baby at the time, you know, he's maybe like two years old, um, one or two, we would sleep on the floor. We would sleep on a pallet. And there's like mice running by. There's, you know, there's bugs, you know, roaches. And so it's a very different, like I had my own bed at my grandma's house, very comfortable environment. She tucked me in at night. Now I was just like, you know, go, go to lay on, you know, lay on the floor, right? And so this might look from the outside like, man, that's just like some really trying conditions. But during that time, when I would stay over there, my mom worked at uh, Magic Market, which is sort of like 7-Eleven, and she worked the overnight shift. And so when I would get up in the morning, when I was there, she would always bring me a pack of baseball cards home from work that had the bubble gum in it, right? And so, and I was just so happy. I was excited when you know, to get up and I would wait for her to get there so I can get that pack of baseball cards. And it was like such a light in my life. And I literally kept a lot of those baseball cards until maybe like a year ago, all right? When the wrath of my wife with her like declutter, you know what I'm saying? She just like, these got to go, all right? It might've been thousands of dollars, all right? And I, I mean, I still have some of them though. I kind of, like I knew, has some value, but anyway, so I just kept these forever, like those baseball cards, and it was like a bright spot. It was a happy thing, and that even despite the the negative circumstances, negative experiences that I've had with my mother, you know, like I've shared stories about, you know, her, you know, when I'm just in preschool, like making me go fight and having the back of my head cracked open, you know, like, but I do know that she still she did love me, 
And that's such a bright spot. It makes me feel good thinking about it, that I was special enough. I was special enough for her to remember to bring me a pack of baseball cards every time when she came home from work when I stayed over there. All right, so that's one story in my, in my history. And so again, looking at your history of happiness, things that shape you. So guess what I do today? I do things to make my kids feel special and that they matter and that they're significant and that they're important. I got that from there. Uh, another story, in eighth grade, well really it was beginning in fifth grade. So I went from a city school, right, in the inner city to in fifth grade I was placed into the desegregation program, the deseg program. And we're now being bussed out to the quote, good schools. And you know, it's a different culture. You know, it's basically a predominantly black neighborhood to a predominantly white neighborhood. And there's gonna be obstacles there just in and of itself. And maybe there's gonna be people who don't necessarily like the way that things are going or the, you know, the, the people there, whatever the case might be. But something really profound happened to me uh, that changed my life and has affected me to this day. And eighth grade, uh, so this is middle school, and we had a writing assignment to basically create a book of poetry and different types of poetry, like haikus and like tankas and like free form poetry, whatever. But I did my, my free form poem that I wrote, my teacher, Miss Blackmore, uh, published it in the school paper, all right? She only, it was only one person's poems uh, that was a free poem. There's like three people got to be in the newspaper, but the free flow poem, she chose me. And she published it in the, in the school newspaper. And it was read over the intercom that I was, you know, my name. Man, that just like changed my life. Like I felt so, I felt like I was seen. I felt like my voice matters in a world that oftentimes it seemed like I didn't fit in or I didn't have a voice. And it was so powerful for, for me. And just affirming that I had something to say. And I know that that moment, I don't know if this would have happened without it, but I know that that was a seed for me writing an international best-selling book that's now been read by hundreds of thousands of people, translated into uh, you know, 20 different countries. And it's just really changed my life. And I'm so grateful, Ms. Blackmore, if you're listening, thank you so much for that, for that acknowledgement. And so these stories are just taking a look at your happy history, right? Taking time and writing down these stories or sharing these stories, you know, maybe you can post them on social media, share them with your friends and family, these happy moments in your history, rekindle those flames of joy because even within poverty, like I shared, there's happiness there. Even within inequality, like I shared, there's happiness there. And within so many other circumstances, you can find happiness and meaning that help you to elevate from your circumstances. And so now we're getting close to the end. And next up, we got number five here on these seven essential ingredients or strategies or core components to encourage happiness. And number five, number five is to highlight your strengths rather than your weaknesses, right? Highlight your strengths rather than your weaknesses. We're taught in our culture so often that we have to work on our weaknesses. And absolutely true. Oftentimes we need to bring those up, but we're missing the point here of we all are unique and we have different unique gifts, talents, capacities, skill sets, experience that really help to set us apart and make us truly special, you know, and unique. And so if we can focus more on those things, but the problem is we tend to brush those things off, especially if we're good at something uh, or if something that makes us happy that we just happen to, you know, maybe we get paid to do 
we'll brush it off as you know something that's just like, oh, whatever, it's not a big deal. But it is a big deal. It's just because it's second nature to you oftentimes that you don't acknowledge how beautiful and amazing and powerful that is and you are. And so what I want you to do is to make a list of five to 10 positive qualities or character traits that you have. All right, make a list of five to 10 positive qualities or character traits that you have. And this can include physical features as well. You know, again, we tend to, this is what we tend to do is like, I know I have a, I have a great smile, but you know, my eyes are too big or whatever it is. Or like, yeah, I, I have nice legs, but I also have booty do. And some of you might be like, well, what's, what's booty do? Booty do is when your stomach stick out further than your booty do. All right. That's what booty do is. And you're just like, well, I got booty do. So, you know, my legs, whatever. Instead of not like, you got some amazing legs, right? You have beautiful eyes. You have, you know, great skin, whatever it might be, whatever it might be. You have nice feet. All right. So for a lot of guys, that might be a huge plus because if we're looking at the ratio, a lot of guys, I mean, if you've seen the movie Lord of the Rings and you've seen The Hobbit, that's based on a true story, bro. Okay. Like a lot of guys got the Hobbit feet, man. So whatever it might be for you, like acknowledging those good qualities about you if they're physical, but more importantly, the character traits, the qualities of your character. And so what I want you to do is stop picking yourself apart for a moment and to acknowledge the good things about you. So, and also, by the way, stop blowing off things. And I, I, I'm saying this because I done it and did it for so long. Like if somebody gives you a compliment, like I was just like, whatever, like somebody, I mean, for years, you know, even on the trip back, you know, somebody might say like, you have beautiful eyes. And I would just like, I just see through these, like what, what's the big deal? Like, you know, and I just, I mean, and also the conditions that I was in, I never really fit in. And so I felt like I'm not quite right, right? And so when I would get a compliment, I'd be like, uh, you know, like I wouldn't even know what to do with it. And then I was actually doing research for the Model Health Show and it hit me, this was like, two years ago, which I'm still going to do this show because this is something that we also do. This is, again, what makes this show different is I might be in preparation, pulling in stuff for years before I create a masterclass episode, but it's on improving vision and, you know, your, your sight. And I was researching and I came across, you know, I'm just like interested in eye color. And I came across this, you know, like these different types of eye color. And then I found out that there's this condition and maybe many of you have heard of this before, but it's called heterochromia, right? And this is like something like David Bowie, you know, it's like got two different eye colors, but then there's a type of heterochromia called central heterochromia, which is apparently the most unique, uh, rare eye color. And basically you have two different color eyes within the same eyes. Now I know like many of you are listening or maybe you can't even see on the video, but that's, I have that. Like there's a very distinct color around the pupil and then there's a color outside of that. And it's, even as we're recording this episode, I stopped because I wasn't even gonna talk about this because I was just like, ah, oh, whatever, it's not a big deal. And so my team in here knows this, that, you know, I'm still, I still do it. It's like, whatever. But if I just like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, because what it is actually, and what I found in the, in the research is that it's a mutation. I'm an X-Man, right? So for me, that could give me a little bit of like feeling of like, oh man, that's pretty cool, that's dope. And so really stop brushing off the things that people acknowledge about you, that they appreciate about you, or that they hold as like something special, which I'm saying this because I'm guilty of it, even still to this day, you know, because I almost did it recording this episode. 
but um, you know, so absorb it. I'm not terrible at it, and I've been very great at teaching other people to do it. But when you receive a compliment, just saying thank you, thank you so much, you know, like really receiving it, embrace it, and stop brushing it off. And so again, on that list of five to ten positive qualities or character traits about you. So and then moving again to the character side, writing down I am kind, right? What are those good qualities about you, about your character? I'm giving. I'm thoughtful. I'm uh, passionate. I'm a passionate person. I'm physically strong. I'm a hard worker, right? Acknowledging those things. Uh, I'm giving. I'm supportive. Uh, I'm intelligent. How often do we acknowledge if we're intelligent, right? If we're, if we're smart, right? And what we tend to do is we just brush those things under the table because it's like, it's, again, it's quote who we are and we take them for granted. And we want to be humble, right? I'm doing air quotes on humble. We want to be humble so we don't acknowledge the great things about us. First of all, if you have to say that you're humble, you're probably not humble. Now, being humble does not mean not acknowledging your good qualities. That's not what being humble is. We can acknowledge our uniqueness and the good qualities that we have and be a humble human being. It just means you're not propping them up as a belief that it makes you better than other people. That's what it is. All right. So embrace your uniqueness. Embrace the, the, the cool things about you, your character, your physical body. It's you. You are a gift. You are unique. There has never been before or never will be after you somebody like you. Right, Dr. Seuss, nobody can be youer than you. So it's embracing that. Right? That's what all of life that has evolved to this point would expect you to do because you have the opportunity and the gift of being here right now. Why would you belittle yourself and not acknowledge your greatness? All right, so that one, that's number five on our list here. We're about to close this thing out. So I hope you guys are getting a lot of uh, joy and inspiration and value out of this. So we're gonna move on to number six on our list here. And this is a list of seven things that encourage happiness. And number six is to practice gratitude. We've talked about gratitude on the show. And we've done a masterclass episode on the science of gratitude, but just a couple of key points here. The practice of gratitude has been clinically proven to reduce stress hormones in our bodies and increase happiness-related hormones. We literally are changing the chemical cascade in our body, shifting towards happiness when we have a gratitude practice, right? Maybe it's journaling each day, writing down three things you're grateful for to start the day or maybe to end the day, but having a gratitude practice. Professor of psychology at UC Davis, Robert A. Emmons, believes gratitude works because it allows individuals to celebrate the present and be an active participant in their own lives. By valuing and appreciating friends and family, oneself, situations and circumstances, it focuses the mind on what an individual already has rather than something that's absent and is needed, right? So it reminds you of how fortunate we are. Again, if our ancestors could see us now, they were like, oh man, you made it, you made it, all right? So it's refocusing on the things that we do have. And what's so funny is that what you appreciate appreciates, and we tend to get more of that because your brain is rewiring itself to find more things to be grateful for. All right, so as episode 320, The Science of Gratitude, check that out if you happen to miss it. Number seven, our final one here on seven specific strategies that encourage happiness. Number seven is to change your language. Change your language. Change the way that you speak to yourself and out to other people. We talked about this in a dynamic way with Marissa Peer on that recent episode, but just in the context of happiness, just think about your response, for example, in day-to-day -day interactions when people ask something like, how are you doing? Like you see somebody say, hey, how are you doing? 
And they say something like, just taking it one day at a time. Just taking it one day at a time. Or they might say, or you might say, I'm maintaining. I'm maintaining. Or uh, I'm, get, I'm getting by. Watch the language that you're using, right? Your conditions might not be perfect, but you are alive. You're alive. And you have ample opportunity to change your circumstances. But it comes from initiating the language that we use outward and the language that we use within ourselves. You know, so people I know that personally who've proactively changed their language, somebody I know that just like, you know, the struggle is real. Like you ask them how they're doing or, you know, um, you know, I, I'm getting by, I'm making it. And literally, like he started his own, uh, opened his own gym, started really working on himself and his personal development. And now most recently when I asked him how he's doing, he said, I'm living the dream. Huh? You're living the dream? What is the dream? First of all, what is the dream? Let me live that, right? And I know it might even be something that maybe he's not living the dream. Maybe he's not living his perfect life. But for him to say that, it just evokes something in me like, man, he's like, I like that. I like that. I don't know exactly what it means, but I like it, right? So living the dream or just I'm, I'm doing fantastic. I'm blessed. I'm blessed, right? I'm blessed. Or just, of course, the, 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 the standard, you know, I'm doing good or I'm great, but really paying attention to the words that you're using. And, and in that moment, you can conjure up some gratitude of the thing that you is, you're actually doing great about. Now, again, it's not always going to be the case, and I'm not telling you to falsify the data if you're not doing great, but watching the language so you don't get into a habitual pattern of ignoring your greatness. And so with that said, uh, monitoring your mind in of itself and easing up on the complaining, right? That language of complaining, again, you're, you're programming your brain to look for more things to complain about. So consciously, if you see yourself complaining or gossiping or talking negatively about yourself or other people, catch yourself. Awareness starts the process and ease up on that a bit and compliment more often. So critiquing and complaining, the cure for that is complimenting. It's the actual cure for that. So complimenting, whether it's to the person, like I said, outwardly doing, or it's even just within your own mind and complimenting people. Oh, they have such beautiful hair or, oh my goodness, I love their sunglasses or I love how they are with their kids. That's beautiful, right? Or that, that person, that couple, just complimenting more in your mind, if not outwardly to other people. It's a cure for complaining. And you can be that for other people. You can be the light when you step into the room. And I hope that this brought a little bit more light and joy to your day. And you can actually come to a place where others can help to light up your world as well. And you can bring your light to our incredible community that we have. It's Model Nation. And it's, it's a free place, but it's only if you love the Model Health Show. Not if you, it's like, it's cool. But if you love the Model Health Show, come on over to Model Nation. We got, I mean, I'm talking about just serotonin out the wazoo. I don't think that's ever been said before. Might not be said again. But serotonin out the wazoo, just because of the, the, the good energy and the love and the sharing and the support, you can get access. Go to themodelhealthshow.com forward slash model nation. All right, model nation together is one word, one entity. And get connected to our community. All right, it's popping over there. All right, so pop over there, check it out. It's themodelhealthshow.com forward slash model nation. And again, I hope that you got some value out of this episode. And if you did, please share it out with the people that you care about. Leave a comment below the video. Let me know what you thought of the episode and what one of your big takeaways was from this episode. And uh, we've got some incredible stuff. We've been building on different pieces 
over the years that we're going to start putting together more powerful masterclasses to really uh, help you to move forward as we go into this new year and far beyond and creating the life and the happiness that you truly deserve to have. But it starts with us laying the foundation and taking advantage of these simple tools and putting them in play in our own lives. I appreciate you so much for tuning into the show today. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you've got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.